Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Uh, at our church, we believe that we're called to Christ, we're called to worship, and we're called to serve. And those three things inform all the stuff that we do. Uh, thank you to Pastor Murr, who spoke last week as I came back from camp and I was here. Uh, man, if you know Pastor Murr, uh, I've talked to her for five seconds, never any doubt about her heart. But it was really powerful to hear her put into words uh, what God is doing inside of her. So thank you, Pastor Murray. It was really good. Uh, today, we are continuing on uh, in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. So uh, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42 if you want to be ready. We've been calling this series that we're in, Here Comes a Dreamer. Because these chapters start with Joseph's brothers uttering that phrase to him, Right? He walks out to find them, and they derisively say to him, here comes the dreamer. Joseph had a dream uh, that caused his brothers to act with jealousy towards him. But that dream, with God's hand upon it, as we're going to find out, it would restore Joseph's family. We start to see that happen here in these chapters that we're reading this week. Uh, This occasion in Genesis, I believe, is a wonderful example of God's heart. Because God's heart is a heart of compassion. God's heart is a heart of reconciliation. And God has that for all of us today. In fact, we talked about two weeks, the road of reconciliation. As we talked about it, I used the example of going on a road trip. I talked specifically, specifically about driving through Oregon and the Blue Mountains uh, on the way up to Seattle. When I went to school up there, I drove that thing like 100 times, literally 100 times. And uh, I talked about how when you go into those mountains, you never really know what you're going to find on the next corner, especially any time between, like, October 1st and May 1st. Man, you never know what you're going to find. It might be beautiful down the valley. You might go up in there, and it might be so socked in that you got to go five miles an hour, or you might run into snow or ice or wind, or you never know. All you know is that you have to go that way to get where you're going. To get to your destination, you got to stay on the road. And on the road of reconciliation in Genesis that Joseph and his family are on, Joseph, he had to remain on the road. And he had to be willing to see his brothers when they came. And the brothers, in order to travel the road towards him, they had to begin to face with some honesty what they had done two decades earlier. But imagine with me this morning that you're here and you decide you need to go somewhere far off. And you decide, you know what, we're not flying this time, we're going to drive there. Flying's too expensive. We're going to drive there. All the people with kids said amen, right, because it's expensive. (laughs) Uh, And you decide, man, I'm going to go on this long road trip, and so you start to get ready, right? You map the route. You know, we all have cell phones these days that make it real easy, but maybe you're going to drive through a a dead zone, so you got to download it. Make sure you have the map so you don't get lost, right? You go get the oil change in the car. Maybe if you are a real handyman, you do it yourself. Uh, If you have kids, you do something very, very important, and that is you get the snacks ready. You uh, just do not ever go on a road trip without snacks if you have kids. Uh, You make sure everyone has something to occupy them, right? If you're the driver, you make sure you got your podcasts loaded up or whatever. Make sure the kids got books to read. Uh, You find yourself someone to watch the dogs. That's a big part of us when we leave. We got two dogs, and we got to make sure someone can watch our dogs. We take them somewhere, you know. But then you wake up in the morning, and there's something that keeps you from going. You've done all the preparing. The dogs are at the dog sitter. The snacks are ready. You wake up, and maybe you've got a flat tire. You go to put the spare on, and it's a full-size spare, but it's flat. You end up not being able to go. You have to wait too long to get it repaired, so you wait a day. And then each day is something. You wake up the next day. Oh, man, we were going to go today. The weather is terrible, though. 
Go the next day, man, my back is so sore from sitting around checking the weather. I think I'm going to wait another day. The next day, oh, man, got a, grandma's got her birthday. We need to stay for the birthday party. Before you know, a couple weeks have passed. You, you never went where you were going to go. You see, at some point, the rubber has to meet the road, right? That expression, of course, comes from where the tires of your car, they back out of your nice, smooth garage, down your driveway, and they go out onto the pavement of the road. And they start driving. And they point toward your destination. At some point, if you're going to get anywhere in life, if you're going to get anywhere in your heart, you got to point towards your destination. The rubber has to meet the road. And you see, the brothers, they have already walked the road of reconciliation to some extent. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But now they're retracing their steps. They went to Egypt. They met Joseph, who they don't know is Joseph, but they met him. And they're on their way back to their father who sent him in the first place. Sent them in the first place. And right here is the part of the story where Joseph and his brothers, or where the father of Joseph and his brothers, his name is Jacob, he begins to enter the story in a meaningful way once more. Because Jacob is the only one who has not begun to move towards reconciliation with his family. You see, God started to move in the lives of the brothers as they were traveling and as they got there. We're going to pull some truth out of this passage that has to do with everyone involved today, but woven throughout is really what we'll see, and that's that Jacob, the father of the brothers and the sons, when it comes to the reconciliation of his family, he had to make a decision at some point to let the rubber meet the road. Like we said, a little context for this. If you haven't read this story recently, haven't been here, the brothers, they sold Joseph into slavery, in effect, not caring whether he lived or died. Through a series of circumstances and events and God being with him, he became second in command of all of Egypt, most powerful nation in the world at the time. There comes a worldwide famine. Egypt's the only country with food uh, and because of Joseph's wisdom. And Joseph's brothers, they come looking for grain, for food to buy, uh, not knowing it's their long-lost brother who they left for dead that they're speaking to. And Joseph, we talked about two weeks ago, he sends them back with grain, but he keeps one brother, Simeon, as a guarantee that they'll return. See, after all this time, he's hoping to be reunited with his youngest and only full brother, Benjamin, and crucially, his father. So let's start just with this short set of verses. If you have your Bibles, if you have a device, that's fine too. Uh, Genesis 42, 25 through 28, just three verses at first. We're kind of going to chop it up into chunks a little more today than usual. Verse 25 says this. I almost started in the wrong chapter there. 42, 25. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. So we talked about when the brothers were on their way to Egypt. This is not a short journey. Remember, no cars, nothing like that. They were walking. They had donkeys to carry their stuff. Probably would have taken even a little longer on the way back because they were loaded down with the supplies they came for. And we see right away this thread that believe, I believe runs through this entire story. And that is just how markedly the brothers' choice to abandon Jacob 20 years before affected them. We said this our very first week talking about this story, about the journey of Joseph, I think. And that is that those 10 brothers who sold Joseph, they would have to live with what they'd done for the rest of their life. When they made that choice, they were going to have to live with it. 
Internally, every one of them, I'm sure, regretted the decision they'd made. But they also somehow, between the ten of them, had to keep that story straight for the next however long, for as long as they lived. But when I wrote it down, I didn't even realize as we went through this, the concrete ways in which it was going to present itself as the years played themselves out. You see, Joseph, uh, they, again, they don't know that he's Joseph. They, all they know is that he's the one with all the food. He sends them away with the food that they had to have in order for their people, for their nation to live. But also with a blessing because he didn't allow them to pay for it. Have you ever had a situation like this where you were willing to pay literally whatever it took, any amount of money for something, but it was just given to you instead? Like you show up with the money, you're willing to give it, pay it, and they just give it to you? I had a situation like this on one of those trips to Seattle. I was young, I want to say... Uh, I don't know, 19, and I was in my 86 Chevy Blazer, and I had two uh, girls also that lived in Idaho with me, and they were riding along. You know, their parents had entrusted me with them to bring them back safely, and I had this 86 Chevy Blazer. I think I've talked about this before. The Blazer, the gas gauge only kind of worked, and uh, it's fine, you know. What you do is you just calculate the mileage in your mind so you know about, you know, how many miles you've gone. The odometer worked just fine, and yeah, but Tacey, you're right. It was an uh-oh. So it would work. Uh, I say it kind of worked because between full and half, it worked. Between half and empty, not so much. It would just kind of fluctuate. And so we're driving. If you've driven this trip at all, you know it gets a little desolate out there in Oregon. And uh, we're driving. And uh, I don't remember which one of the girls it was, Debbie or Stephanie. One of them convinced me that we should not stop and we should uh, skip the gas station because we can make it to the next one. And the, uh, the gas gauge, you know, was doing its thing, and I was calculating the miles. And, uh, I, you know, I knew better, but I listened to the girl, and uh, we just kept on driving. And uh, sure enough, man, we ran out of gas out in the middle of nowhere in uh, Oregon, and we coasted into this rest stop. And it was before Thanksgiving. Uh, so, you know, it was a typical day out there where it's just cold, not snowy, but just cold and windy and it was the middle of Boonies, Oregon. You, you know what it's like. And uh, we coasted into this rest stop, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I mean, this is pre-cell phones, really. This is 1999, so everyone didn't have cell phones, right? I'm like, what are we going to do? Uh, we, 20 miles ago, there was a gas station. 20 miles ahead, there's a gas station. I'm literally praying in, in my head, Lord, you're going to have to get us out of this. Uh, I'll pay anything. Lord, just please help. And uh, so we, we coast into the... The parking spot, I'm not sure the girls even knew what was going on at this point. They just knew that we'd stopped. And uh, they're getting out. And coming in behind us is a big old pickup truck. And uh, it's got a gas pump on the back. And uh, I'm kind of looking. And uh, I'm standing out there scratching my head. And this guy gets out. He says, hey, do you guys need something? I said, yeah, actually, I'm out of gas. Do you have any gas? He's like, yeah, I got someone, got a gas pump on the back of my truck. You need some? It's like, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> nice to see you out here. So he pulls his truck over, pulls a little thing. I guess they use them for, like, construction equipment stuff, right? Puts a few gallons in there. He's like, yeah, that should get you to where you need to go. I said, hey, how much do I owe you? He's like, nothing. You're fine. He's like, no, I'll, literally, I'll pay. I got, I got cash, uh, whatever you need. He's like, no, it's fine. You know, just glad to help. Gets in his truck, drives off. I would have paid any, I would have paid $200 for that three gallons of gas, man. All the money I had with me. You know, these brothers, they have a similar thing happen. They showed up and they would have given anything for the food. 
But you see, when we live a life of dishonesty, it can cause us to miss God's blessing. You see, what's happened here is God has used Joseph to bless them. They're going to be returning with their food back to their father, provisions for the journey that he didn't have to give them, and they're returning with the money that they brought. But because of their dishonesty, they don't see it as a blessing. They are afraid when the bag of money appears. You're dishonest in your life uh, when the bag of money appears, you're afraid. Look in verse 28 at what one of the brothers says. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? You see, the brothers, they've connected the money in their bags to the money they accepted for their brother two decades earlier, 20 years earlier. They're connecting the dots. Because continued and willful dishonesty, it warps the way we interpret our everyday life. We can't accept things for what they are because we have this fear of being affected by our bending of the truth. We've bent the truth with other people, so we think other people are doing it with us. And it's happened so much here that a guilty conscience has kept them from seeing God's provision for them. They can't even see the blessing that they have been given because of a lie that they've been keeping secret for 20 years. I don't believe that Joseph was doing this to scare them. There's no evidence that he was. Simply, Joseph remembered that he had been uh, traded for silver in his life. And Joseph refused to be a part of anything similar as Simeon stayed in Egypt and the brothers journeyed home. He couldn't tell them who he was at that point, but what Joseph was doing was communicating love, forgiveness in the only way that he could by placing the money back in their bags. You see, the rubber is starting to meet the road for Joseph's brothers. And they're continually forced to deal with the ramifications of what their actions have brought up on their lives. They aren't seeking it out themselves even. But God has a plan, and that plan involves those brothers coming to grips with who they've been. And we're going to see that theme uh, continue as they arrive home to their father Jacob. And it's Jacob's turn, the father's turn, to have the rubber meet the road. But it again happens to him unknowingly. But it happens to him unknowingly. He's not even pursuing it because, remember, God is good. He's a God of reconciliation. Uh, in your Bibles, look at Genesis 42, 29 through 38 uh, with me this morning. Verse 29. I'm going to start in 28, actually. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank. And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to, the, came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. And take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are spies. Know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks there, and each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. 
And Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you and trust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. What an interesting response from Jacob. The brothers have returned home, and I'm sure those brothers, as they are walking, these brothers, they're walking, they're feeling something that is familiar to all of us, I'm certain. You've all felt this feeling before. That is the feeling of knowing that a conversation is coming that you really wish you didn't have to have. When you're, when you're little, right, it's like you broke the lamp with the baseball, and you're like, I hope, I wish mom was never going to come home. <laughs> Lord, if the rapture's real, would you come right now, right? <laughs> this is one of those conversations they're going to have uh, that it's just better to get it over with right away, either that or never have to have it. But in this, day, this case, it's happening. And they've got days to ponder as they walk this fact, and that is they've left another brother but they've come back with grain and the money that they were sent with. They know how that's going to look to their dad. And they're walking, and they're going to have to figure out how to tell their father, hey, dad, we brought the food you wanted, but minor detail, we had to leave another brother. Now, at this point, full and complete honesty would have been the best thing to do. It's really easy for us to see thousands of years later. As we've already said, God was using these circumstances to bring them face-to-face with the truth. And what's more, the brothers, they can see it happening. You read the previous chapters, they say, and Joseph hears them, uh, they say, God is punishing us for what we've done. But they come to their father, and what do they do? They only give him nine-tenths of the story. They tell him about the accusation of spying. They tell him about how they were forced to leave Simeon and Egypt. But they, the last one-tenth they leave out is really critical. And by the way, Dad, we've done this once before. (laughs) They leave that part out. And then, remember, they've only emptied one sack so far. Then they empty the rest of their sacks. Apparently, they had been so frightened and so struck by their guilty conscience that when they saw the one bag of silver on the journey home, they couldn't even bear to look at the others. They were like, I don't even want to know. Just put it back in and let's go home. (laughs) And they could plainly see What their father was also going to see if there was silver in those bags, and that is they had come from far off, minus their brother Joseph, but plus some extra silver 20 years earlier. And the same thing was happening as they returned without Simeon, but with the silver they were supposed to have left. Way back in Genesis 37, you read the beginning of this, when they come back without Joseph, there was no suspicion on Jacob's part. He didn't accuse them at all. They remember they came up with this good lie. They took his cloak, and they dipped in animal's blood, and they gave it to him, and they tricked him. It was only sorrow that he lost his son, Joseph. But here, Jacob reacts in a different way. He begins to accuse his sons. And remember, though, Jacob's sons, they had seen this type of dishonesty, this type of behavior in their father. There's a lot of things we know about Jacob from the word of God. He wrestled with God. And thankfully, his story is not over at this point in Genesis. But Jacob, well, a lot of what we know about him is he deceived his brother Esau to steal his birthright, which led to long-lasting consequences. Jacob, when his sons were young, he allowed jealousy to run free in them. And that's what led to their bitterness toward Joseph. Jacob was passive when he found out about the rift between them, and that's what led them to where they are now. But here, Jacob is presented with a solution to the big problem 
they face. The big problem is they have no food. And the solution is send the brothers back uh, with Benjamin and they will have all they need. But what has happened, friends, is that decades of distrust and bitterness, they have made Jacob, the father, weary. Jacob's father has not healed from losing his son Joseph 20 years earlier. And the fact that uh, his sons have not come clean about what actually happened to Joseph, the other really important one-tenth of the truth, that lie his sons have been perpetrating and keeping all this time, it's destroying him even up to this moment. I want us to see that Jacob responds in three ways that we also tend to respond with when the going gets tough. How many of you have had the going get tough in your life? If your hand's not up, you have an issue with lying. We've all had the, t- the, uh, the going get tough in our life. First thing that happens when the going gets tough, when things are difficult, we respond with negativity. Good verse uh, 36 to 38 really quick. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. 38. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead. He's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Basically saying, you're going to kill me. Jacob does what we often do, what I, John, have done when the going gets tough. He not only responds with pessimism, but he's incredibly unkind to his sons. Sometimes the going gets tough, and we're not only frustrated, we are unkind to those around us. You see, when Jacob says, you have deprived me of my children, he's drawing a line between Joseph, Benjamin, Simeon, and the other nine brothers. He's saying, these three are important, you nine, not so much. In his heart, I'm guessing he didn't believe that, but that's what he said in that moment. It's the same favoritism that was destructive before, and it's destructive now. And Jacob, he uh, only makes the situation worse by making these nine sons who've made the journey feel inferior. Now, a byproduct of approaching a situation with negativity is that when we are negative, we tend to come up with desperate solutions. When we are negative, we only see the worst. We only see the worst idea. That's what Reuben, the brother, does in verse 37. Right, verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Trust him to my care, and I'll bring him back. It's, of course, a ridiculous suggestion by Reuben, right? I, listen, Dad, I know you feel like you've lost two sons. You might lose another one, but how about we put two young grandsons on the line? Will that help the situation? Why would Jacob want to lose his grandsons? It makes no sense. But Reuben, he's filled with guilt from his part in what happened. He can't bear to see his father lose another beloved son, so he's grasping his straws. Because he also sees a situation they're in, which is if they don't go back for more food, they're all going to die anyway. I know I have done this. I've got to the point where I can't process anything else. And because everything seems bad, I just come up with the worst possible idea. When things are difficult, friends, we descend into negativity if... We are not careful. As we move into Genesis 43, we see two other ways uh, Joseph responds. 43, 1 through 6. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brothers along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. 
Israel, who's Jacob, asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Second way we respond to difficulty as humans a lot of times, the second thing we see in Jacob is that we look horizontally rather than vertically. You see, Jacob, he looks at the circumstances around him instead of what God might be doing. Again, he's colored by the fact that he's got 20 years of baggage with his sons. Jacob, somehow, he seems to have blown off everything that's already happened in verse 1. And he attempts to go to the nine sons and just send them on a repeat mission. Listen, guys, I know we had a rough day before, but I really need you to go back and get more food. But these guys, they are insistent that they cannot go unless they take Benjamin. And on the surface, when Joseph asked for this, it must have seemed like such a strange request. And the brothers, I'm sure, saw this. They were convinced, though, as we read a couple weeks ago, that they were paying the penalty for what they'd done. They were convinced that they needed to make it right with God by bringing Benjamin back. Of course, they are not bold enough to share with their father at this point, hey, Dad, this is what we think is going on. But Jacob, remember, the man who wrestled with God, who was never the same after that. Jacob, he's so focused on his immediate circumstance that he can't see for himself that God may be up to something. That ever happened to you before? My hand is up. So much so that he argues with them about their methods and whether or not they volunteered too much information. He was not even there, and he's arguing with them about what they said. He focused completely on assigning blame instead of the solution that God has placed in front of him. Yeah, it's so easy as humans when we are in the midst of a tough stretch to just wake up expecting the worst. Right? We, instead of believing, hey, I think God's got this, I'm going to walk forward and whatever he has for me, we wake up and we expect the worst. And we miss the miracle that God may be placing right in front of us. There's a story, maybe you've heard it about the man who's on the roof of a flooded house. He realizes that, uh, you know, he's probably not going to make it. And so he asks God, God, would you save me, miraculously save me, please? About that time, someone comes up in a canoe. Say, hey, I got a canoe. I got room for one person. Do you need it? Right? He's like, nope. I need a miracle. God comes up in a motorboat, interrupts him praying once more. Lord, I need a miracle. God comes up in a motorboat. Guy says, hey, we got room on our motorboat. The guy says, no, waiting for God to save me. Been asking for a miracle here. Goes back to his prayers. Helicopter comes, shines a spotlight on him. It's like, no, no, no. I'm praying for God to save me. I need a miracle. Eventually, he dies in the flood. He gets to heaven because he was serving the Lord. And he says, God, why did you not save me? God says, I sent you a canoe, a motorboat, and a helicopter. I didn't know what else you wanted me to do. Right? Sometimes we miss the miracle that God is placing right in front of us because we've got a negative attitude. We see Jacob here responding horizontally to his circumstances, to the flooded house, instead of vertically to what God might be doing. Let's move on. Look at verse uh, 7 through 13 together. Sons replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me. And we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Now myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. 
If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and some myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also. Go back to the man at once. We see once more here in Jacob, one more tendency that we as humans have is that is we respond to difficulty by resisting even if the solution in front of us is obviously good. I'm not talking about too good to be true, but obviously good. As we've said, the brothers, they're beginning to be drawn more towards reconciliation. They're not ready to come clean with Jacob yet. Now, finally, one of them offers an actual helpful solution. We've all been in situations like that, right, where all the solutions are bad and someone finally comes up with a good one. Well, Judah finally does so. He offers himself, right? This is different than Reuben offering his two sons because Reuben offered not himself but his two sons. Judah is putting himself on the line. He's saying, Dad, hold me personally responsible. I will take care of this. Not only was Judah saying good and obviously the right thing to do, but Jacob's hesitation to take advantage of the solution in front of him, it's edging them closer and closer to starvation. And still, at this point, Jacob, he's more willing to see a scheme that he can try and pull off than what God may have been doing. So he, he finds some of their precious few remaining resources as a gift, and he is trying to appease the person that he's sending these boys to. The right thing to do has been staring him in the face this entire time. That is, send his sons back. But Jacob, just like we often do as humans, he has a hard time accepting that anything good could be coming. Now, you might be thinking, hey, I thought we were talking about people coming together. You kept, keep saying that God is kind and compassionate. I'm not really hearing it in this part about Jacob. The reason we went there is because I believe we can all identify with how Jacob reacted in that situation. If you haven't been there in your life, you will be at some point. But even more than that, I believe we can identify with what happens next. See, Jacob, he's tried everything else. And now the rubber is meeting the road in his heart. Uh, this is beautiful. Look at uh, verse 13 and 14. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your older brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You notice something that he does right there that we haven't seen him do yet? Calls on the name of God Almighty. Jacob purposely puts all that will be taken to Egypt in the order that he does here. He, put, he says the gifts first, and then he says the double amounts of silver, and then his youngest son. Notice he doesn't say anything. He does not care, even though they don't have much. He does not care about the goods or the money being repaid or returned. But his prayer is that Simeon and Benjamin, his sons, come back. Because as long as this journey has been, as dire as the circumstances may seem, he has no trouble parting with the goods and the money. But losing two more sons is something else entirely. It's not something he's willing to do if he doesn't have to. 
If we look back at the very first time Jacob sent the sons to Egypt, there is nothing about committing the situation to, or his sons to God. He just says, go get the food. But finally, beautifully, Jacob does what it seems to us so obvious with the benefit of perspective and having read the end of the story, a lot of you, right? The one person with whom all of which this started, he finally says to God, okay, God, I've got no better idea than to ask for your help. Look what he says there, and may God Almighty grant you mercy. Your version might actually say, may El Shaddai grant you mercy, if you've got King James. And Jacob, to kind of go back to our first illustration, Jacob, after backaches and flat tires and bad weather and every reason he could possibly come up with not to do what's been presented to him, he's finally allowed the rubber to meet the road. Finally finally allowed himself to take a step on that road of reconciliation. And friends, I cannot stress to you enough what life has taught me but much more importantly, what God's word shows you and it shows me. And that is this, that when it comes to a broken family, a broken dream, a broken life, that when it comes to any part of our life that is broken, God's mercy is the only place we find rest. You can try all the other solutions, all the other tricky plans, but God's mercy is the only place we find rest. And now the story it starts to circle back around to Joseph The one whose dream is going to restore his family. Remember that first dream he had about the the brothers, the the sheaves of wheat bowing down, the sun, the moon, the stars? Read these final verses with me this morning. This is the last part we'll read. uh, Genesis 43, uh, 15 through 17. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amounts of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal there to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the man to Joseph's house. You see, friends, for healing of broken relationships to happen, I think this is our last slide today, there must be someone that holds out hope. There's going to be healing in your family and in your life. There must be someone that holds out hope. I think there's times in our life, friends, when we've had a disagreement with someone, and we decide, you know what, I have had enough of dealing with this. If they want to make it right, they can. I can't do anything else. There are certainly times when this is the only way to live with peace. But I'd submit to you, even if you've given it to the Lord and you can't give it any more thought than you have, that we should never give up hope. The reason is because God is a God of reconciliation. Maybe you are the one in this place who needs to ask forgiveness from someone. (laughs) Maybe uh, you are like the brothers who made a mistake you wish you hadn't made, but you haven't been able to ask forgiveness for it. Or maybe you have done so and you're waiting for the other person to reciprocate. It seems like they're far from it. Regardless, I would just encourage you today to not give up hope on God's reconciliation. And by that, I don't mean to grind on it or wheel it into happening. You know as well as I do, man, sometimes you've had the conversation 10 times, number 11 is not going to help. Unless God brings number 11 along. Here's what I want us to see as we end here. It seems that Joseph, he didn't just go back to what he was doing without another thought to his family. 
See, Joseph, he continued to hope, and this is the beautiful part of this. And Joseph, he sees his brothers coming from far enough off that he has time to have his steward make plans for a celebratory meal. You realize what this means? He sent them off. Who knows how long they were gone for, but he sent them off, and he was waiting for them to come back. Can you imagine Joseph, second in command of all of Egypt, lots of big responsibilities, waking up each morning, looking out to the horizon? And one morning, he sees a group of travelers. And so the one who saved up enough grain for the entire world to live through a famine, he's double counting to make sure that there are 10 walking towards him instead of nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And the steward looking to the others of the room, like, why does he keep counting to 10? I'm not understanding what's going on. See, just like we said clear back in May when we started this, a dreamer brings restoration when the dream is inspired by God. And from the ashes of a lie that's been kept for decades, God has begun to bring Joseph, his brothers, and his father, Jacob, together. And as Joseph sees the ten walking towards him, God has begun to make a way where there seems to be no way. And the stage is set for one of the most beautiful stories of redemption, reconciliation, in all of the Bible. Can bow your heads this morning. We're almost done. Uh, this morning, friends, I want to end in a couple different ways. This instance of Joseph seeing his brothers from a ways off as they come towards him, I'm sure it reminds you, just like it reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told in the New Testament. Well, friends, if you're here this morning and you feel like you're far from God, you need to know that just like Joseph held out hope for his brothers. Just like the father held out hope for the son, the parable of the prodigal son, God has not lost hope in you. And he's waiting for you to come back to him today. If you're here, you need to dedicate your life to God by accepting Jesus today. We want to give you the chance to do that. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. We're going to pray together in a moment. I want to give you a chance to receive eternal life by acknowledging Jesus. So if that's you today, whether for the first time or maybe you need to rededicate your life, you're here and you know that you know that you need to dedicate your life to God. Accept Jesus today. Confess him. Where No one's looking around except me, and I'm just doing that so we can pray together. But if you're here this morning, you need to accept Jesus. You need to become a Christian for the first time or again today. Would you just raise your hands across this room just so I can see Right, we're going to pray together. I'm going to ask all of you in this room to repeat this simple prayer after me. Whether you raised your hand or you didn't, know that if you mean this prayer, uh, that God is renewing your heart. Would everyone in the room say with me, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Today, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, I accept you into my life. I commit my heart to you. You said that prayer and you meant it this morning. Uh, God is making you new in this moment. Finally, you may remember that uh, the very first week of this series, uh, we did 
a thing uh, that God kind of placed in my heart. I gave each of us that was here a few moments to ask God for a dream for your family. Whether that was for restoration or for your kids to know the Lord or for you to be able to uh, make a, a change you need to make in your family. I believe a lot of you, uh, God gave you a dream that day. Maybe you went out the next Monday and that dream encountered the world and it seemed dashed to pieces very quickly. Maybe you weren't even here that day, but a new dream from God sounds awesome to you. I'd love to give you each a chance to just call on that dream that you ask God for or to ask him for one today. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and this is just so we, each one of us, can do business with the Lord today. If you ask God for a dream that day and you need him to renew that, uh, commit that to him again, I encourage you to do that in this moment. But if this is the first time you're hearing this, would you take a moment, ask God for a dream for your family. Again, whether that's a positive change, whether you just uh, honestly need healing in your life, in your family. Maybe there's situations, relationships that seem like they will never be fixed. And the dream is that God will begin to heal them. Would you ask him for that today? Take a moment and do that as Pastor Mary plays. Thank you for your evident presence that we've seen with us here today. Thank you that you have spoken from the moment we open this service. Thank you that every heart is here for a reason. Every family is represented here for a reason. I ask that uh, you would speak. Lord, for those that may have said that prayer, we dedicate their lives to you, even if they didn't have the boldness to raise their hands. Pray you'd renew, regenerate them, make this the best day of their life. Lord, for those in this place and they're struggling in their family, they're struggling in their relationships, they need you to bring reconciliation that they've tried to bring about on their own, but it's not working. Lord, I pray that you, as you just spark that dream in their heart, you would begin to bring it to pass today. Lord, for parents, grandparents in this place, you know, they just need to make a positive change in their life and move towards you by eliminating something from their life, a form of entertainment, substance. I pray you would give them the strength, the courage to do that. I pray you would speak into every heart in this place, Lord, a dream uh, for who you've made them to be, what you've made them to become. Lord, would you let every person in this place know that you are not done with them? Would you bind every family together in the mighty name of Jesus? God, would you go with us today with your grace and with your mercy? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Friends, thanks for coming to church today. Thanks for praying. Thanks for listening to the word of God. Thanks for singing. We're so grateful you came today, and uh, uh, we just want to remind you, we have church on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, you're dismissed to go, uh, or next Sunday, 9.30 for Sunday school, uh, 10.30 for church. Thanks for coming this morning. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.